Once there was this man who had two sons. One day, the younger son came to his father and said, Father, eventually I am going to inherit my share of your estate. Rather than waiting until you die, I want you to give me my share now. And so the father liquidated assets and divided them. Not many days later, the younger son took all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country. And he began to be in need. He felt so hungry that he wished he could eat the slop the pigs were eating. But nobody gave him anything. That brought him to his senses, and he said, All those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day. And here I am, starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. The father looked off into the distance and saw the young man returning. He felt compassion for him. He ran to him, enfolded him in an embrace, and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have done a terrible wrong in God's sight and in your sight too. I have forfeited any right to be treated as your son. But the father turned to his servants and said, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Go and get the fattest calf and butcher it. Let's have a feast and celebrate because my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost. He was lost. He was lost. And has been found. All right, well, it is good for us uh, to be in worship together this morning. Uh, let's take a moment to introduce myself if you're newer with us. My name is Brian. I uh, have the privilege of being one of the pastors here and bringing you today's message. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. And uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, you should be able to find one uh, in the pew rack in front of you. And furthermore, we say this all the time, but if you're newer, you wouldn't know it, so I'm going to say it again. And that is, if you don't have a Bible at all of your own that you own, then we would invite you to take that as a gift from us to you because it's better in your hands uh, the other six days of the week than sitting here um, for someone to use for just a minute. Well, plus we replaced them, so it's fine. So uh, we'd invite you to take that uh, as a gift from us. And as you turn there um, by, with your other hand, by a show of hands, how many of you know what a rum springa is? A rum springa. And no, it is not a mixed drink. <laughs> I just lost like half the hands, like, oh. Uh, no, a rum springer, that word, it, it literally means running around. And it is a word closely so, or most associated with uh, the Amish. And that in the Amish community, uh, when a child reaches the age of about 16, they're given the freedom uh, to try life outside of the Amish community. Uh, you know, kind of a chance to sow their wild oats, if you will. And after some time of this, the nearing adult teenager then must make a choice as to whether to be baptized into the local Amish church and into the community or to leave the Amish community altogether and to permanently live uh, the way of the world. Now, as I've been in the East Auditorium already with you all a little bit ago, and now in this room, looking around, I feel pretty safe assuming that there are very few, if any, Amish among us today. But that being said, that does not negate the uh, reality that maybe we've engaged in some rumspringas of our own. Uh, we just didn't call them that necessarily. Maybe we called it, you know, freshman yearra. Or for some, maybe it was spring a breaka. 
And yet for others, it might be midlife crisis resulting in buying a Harley without consulting my wife Springer. <laughs> and so we all have engaged in some version of a Rumspringa at one point or another. Uh, but with that, I recognize that there are some here among us today uh, that right now, you know, you are running around in some stuff that isn't what's best for you. And it's not God's best for you. And so we have to start off by asking, okay, what is that area? What is that area of my life that I'm running around in that rumspringa that is in my life that's outside of what is God's best for me? And so with that, and to kind of work through that, uh, last week we began a series, uh, not just in this church, but in 17 additional churches uh, throughout our community called Finding Your Way Back to God, uh, where we recognize that finding our way back to God is, yes, it is a life-changing moment that we, um, that we want to make at least that one big time in our life, but it is also, with that, a life-growing process. That yes, we make that big initial decision, but then as we make Jesus the Lord of our life, we don't completely be transformed overnight. And so we've got to wake up each day thinking, okay, how can I find my way back to God in this area of my life that I face today and every area of my life more and more, hopefully, all the days of our life. And so there's something for all of us here in the story of the prodigal son that's carrying us through this message or this message series of finding a way back to God. Uh, whether you're completely new to church, like it's your first time. Uh, for many, maybe you're, you're new again, like you were in church as a kid and it's been a while and, it's, and you're kind of new again. Or again, if you've uh, been in church your entire life, for all of us, we have to take um, the introspective look and say, okay, where am I rum springing. Where am I running around outside of what God's best is for me? And as we identify that, throughout this series, we're identifying with that five awakenings, you could say, or uh, discoveries or ahas about who we are, about who God is, and then most importantly, what God then has to do with us. And so in the first week, last week, Pastor Wayne uh, led us through that first awakening, uh, that awakening to longing that we all have this void in our lives, that we want to make sure we're filling our life with the right stuff and the right purpose and the right meaning. And we say to ourselves, you know, there's got to be something, there's got to be something more. We're longing for something more in our life. We're longing for something more than just the same thing every day of waking and working and eating and then wandering around Target and falling asleep to Netflix. Like, there has to be more to this life than just that same thing on repeat every day of our life. And relevant to today, many of us have filled that void, that something more, with a rumspringa, with something uh, like relationships or money or career or pleasure. And in many of these cases, they have led to, as we've tried to fill the longing with the wrong thing, it has led to the second awakening that we're going to look at today, and that is the awakening to regret that many of us have awakened to regret, recognizing we have filled our life with the wrong stuff and the wrong things in the wrong ways. And really that word regret, that's just a one word capture of basically saying, boy, I would do anything for a do-over. Isn't that what regret is? It's, it's this, I would do anything for a do-over. Um, golfers call it a mulligan. A mulligan is when you're playing like the best round of your life and you get to the 17th tee and you're just saying, okay, all I got to do is hold it together for two more holes. And you step up to this par four and you spray it. And it goes over these little white stakes that they put out there called out of bounds. And some of you cheat and you just walk up to the, where it went out and you just drop it and you hit number two there, which is 
totally wrong. Uh, because in golf, if you hit it out of bounds, you have to come back to the tee and hit it there. And you don't get to hit two, but you have to hit number three. And so if it's a par four, you're trying to get the ball in the hole in four shots, and you have to hit the third shot from the starting spot all over again, your round is blown up. Unless you have this little friendly thing with your friends called a mulligan. Okay, we're still here today. Yeah, mulligan, a do-over. You get to start, start all over and hit one off the tee as if that first shot never happened. And then you can have the best round of your life, which is actually bogus because mulligans are bogus in golf, but that's fine. That's how you want to play. But what we would give for a mulligan in life because we all have we have that miss hit we have that mistake we have that mess up we have that duff in life that we would do anything for a do-over we do anything for a life mulligan but we recognize that's not how life works we can't we don't have a magic mulligan we can't turn back the clock and change a decision that has already been made And so what do we do with that? What do we do when we awaken to regret so we know we can't actually change what happened, but we want to continue to move forward? What do we do with those regrets when we awaken to them in our lives? Well, I invite you to look again at the story of the prodigal son for that answer for us. And so if you've got your Bible there in chapter 15, verse 11 is where we're going to start. And Jesus tells us this story. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to be a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. We're going to go ahead and stop right there. And I want to hone in on those last two verses, verses 17 and 18, where we see it says that he came to his senses And with that, he said, you know, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. And so, verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father. And so what I want us to recognize here in these two verses are actually two key movements in the whole story of the prodigal son that completely change the story. These two key movements we see in these two verses are first, when he came to his senses, That the first movement that changes things for the son is he comes to his senses. And then with that, there's a second. In verse 18, he says, I will set out and go back to my father. So two key movements that change the son's story, and as we're going to see, can change our story as well. And so that first movement we see coming to his senses, we know came as a result. He came to his senses as a result of that rumspringer where he had grabbed an advance on his inheritance, squandered it all to the point where he had nothing left and he was desperate. He was, he was um, filled with longing literally just to be fed so much so that he was ready to eat the pig slop, uh, but then he wasn't even allowed to have that. So verse 17, he comes to his senses. Or in other words, he awakened to regret. He awakened to regret. And so maybe you've been there. 
Maybe you've been there at the tail end of a bad decision or several bad decisions, and your, your friends, your family, your spouse, your coworkers have been praying for you to come to your senses. Uh, maybe they've even confronted you. They've sat you down and explained in vivid detail how your life is spiraling out of control and the aftermath that's going to cause, but you didn't want to hear it. Uh, even with all the warning signs, in all fairness, maybe you, for some reason, just couldn't even see it. Well, in a lighter note to uh, illustrate how this can easily happen to any of us in our lives. Um, many of you may remember the movie from the 80s, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's got John Candy and Steve Martin uh, starring in that movie where they're trying to make their way back home uh, on a pretty disastrous road trip uh, for Thanksgiving. And so check out this clip as to how it illustrates uh, something bad can go happen on our journey of life. Joker wants to race. Don't race. That's ridiculous. All right, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Put your window down. You want something? Uh, he's probably drunk. You're going the wrong way. What? You're going the wrong way. He says we're going the wrong way. Oh, he's drunk. How would he know where we're going? Yeah, how would he know? Thank you. Thanks a lot. Terrific. Thank you. <laughs> what a moron. They're going in the wrong direction. You're going to kill somebody. All right, kind of a modern day classic. And uh, those in the East Auditorium, they were popping popcorn. They're like, I got the big screen in here. I'm going to do this right. Um, and so, unfortunately, as funny as that is, it's not so funny when our lives kind of represent John Candy's character. We think we're fine. We think we're going the right way. In fact, the people who are telling us they're going, that we're going the wrong way, we think they're the ones that are crazy. But... At some point, we realize what's coming towards us. We come to our senses. We awaken to what's going on in our lives, and we awaken to regret. And recognize that this is actually a really important step, um, that in order to truly find our way back to God, we can't take the steps towards God until we take um, inventory to actually acknowledge where we have missed uh, letting him lead us and us leading ourselves in the wrong way. Um, Richard Rohr. He writes it this way when it comes to acknowledging our poor decisions. He says, you cannot heal what you do not first acknowledge. And what you do not consciously acknowledge will remain 
in control of you from within, festering and destroying you and those around you. And so perhaps for you, you know this truth all too well. And this is um, the wake-up call, this, this aha that you realize, okay, my life is a far cry from where I thought it was going to be when it comes to this particular area. And today is that day where you've come to your senses and you're awakened to regret. And that's a good thing. Um, but unfortunately, for all too many of us, that's where the journey stops. That that's where the story ends because the progress gets trapped in what we could call uh, a sorry cycle. And that this isn't the first time maybe you've come to your senses in this. And that when you come to your senses and you realize, okay, I've, I've made mistakes in this area, I need to change something. But for some reason, when you realize the regret, instead of moving forward in your progression of your life story, you actually, for some ironic reason, return back to the thing that actually got you into the situation you're in in the first place. And so it's this sorry cycle, this terrible cycle of longing and then filling that longing with the wrong thing and then regret and then sorry and then regret and then longing and regret and it's over and over and over like a, like a scratch on a DVD where it just keeps playing the same tragic scene over and over creating the same tragic storyline in your life. The book of Proverbs uh, explains it this way. It says that as a dog returns to its vomit, a fool repeats their folly. That's gross. Um, but it does illustrate, uh, for those of you who do have dogs, you know. If your dog vomits, you might not have to clean it up. <laughs> because this is true. Uh, but unfortunately, this is a descriptor, a kind of, again, a pretty graphic descriptor of, unfortunately, how we continue to mess up our lives. We, we live out Proverbs 2611. We continue to live in this sorry cycle. For example, maybe uh, you're a teen with us here in the room today, and you just started school back a few weeks ago, and um, you kind of, because of the way that class is structured or whatever, you find yourself hanging out with a new group of friends this year. And you know that they're into fill in the blank. Uh, but you know, I would never get into fill in the blank. And so you start hanging around with them, and to your credit, you know, you thought um, you might be able to be a positive influence on them. But here you are weeks into school, and you've awakened to regret. You're doing things you thought you would never do. You're into stuff that you thought you'd never be into. And uh, you realize that even in your effort to be a positive influence, uh, to, to pull them up, turns out it was a whole lot easier for them to pull you down. And like a dog returns to its vomit, you return to the same group of friends, continue to make the same decisions, and you're stuck in this sorry cycle. Um, maybe if you're a married person among us here today and you recognize that you're in a season of your marriage where you know you are not treating your spouse um, the way that you know you want to treat them with the love and the respect that, that, um, that God calls us to treat our spouse with and, and you regret that and you, you keep saying, okay, this time is going to be different after whatever, um, but you're trapped. You're trapped in that sorry cycle and you can't seem to break out of it. Um, maybe for those of you who are parents here, uh, and as activities and the job and requirements of life kind of stack up and exponentially multiply with the years, you, you stop and you look at your kids and you're like, I don't even recognize them because of the pace uh, that you are living your life. In fact, maybe you awaken to regret every time you drop your kids off in the first kid's lobby. 
uh, and that, I don't know if you've seen this display that they have that is this sobering reminder of how many hours we have with our children and that, if you've, if you've noticed it, that um, every marble represents an hour and so you can see top left at six weeks old, you have, you know, oh, I'm sorry, not hours, weeks. You have 930 weeks until they turn 18. So you got all the time in the world but then you scroll down to a 17-year-old and the jar is basically empty. And I'll be honest, I hate those jars. I, they're depressing, but they are a reminder of the limited time we have to make sure we spend the right time uh, investing in our kids. And so maybe that's been you. You said, man, we've, I've, we've got to change something about my work habits, about the way I'm doing this uh, before the marbles run out. Um, but it's a sorry cycle because you know what your Monday looked like last week. And tomorrow you're going to wake up to that same Monday again. And you're just going to continue in that sorry cycle of longing and regret. Maybe for our seniors among us, and you look back on life on areas where because of the progress of time, you know it, uh, there's no time to be able to go back and influence or change things that have happened in your life. And you wake up maybe every day with things that are outside of your control, um, with regret, with anger and bitterness about these things. And so those are just some examples, but whatever your life stage, whatever your sorry cycle, know this that by God's grace, that can actually change today. You can break out of the regret, you can break out of the sorry cycle. By God's grace, you can do that. And the way that you do that is through a really important word that we see throughout the scriptures, and that word is repent. That you need to repent. Now, as soon as I say that, I don't know about you, but there's all kinds of kind of pre-notions of what that word means uh, and what we think. And maybe you think when you hear the word repent, you hear, you don't hear a word, you hear uh, yelling. You hear like repent or you'll end up in Johnny Cash's burning ring of fire. Uh, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, the bullhorn or something like that. Uh, and don't misunderstand, repentance does include saying in our life, we're gonna repent of the sin and the life that we've lived on our own and we're gonna turn to God, receive his forgiveness so that we can have a new life led by him here on this earth and for all of eternity rather than that in hell. But also know that repentance, it's, it's much richer, it's much deeper reality than just you know, a guy with a sandwich board that says, you know, turn or burn, uh, that, that there's a whole lot more to it. And so in the original biblical languages, uh, we see that the word for repentance uh, in the New Testament, which was written in Greek, uh, is the word metanoia. And in the Old Testament, uh, which was written in Hebrew, the word for repent is teshuva. And so what these words mean, metanoia means in the Greek, it means to repent means to change one's mind. And teshuva means to return. To change one's mind and to return. And so repentance literally means to change your thinking and then with that to return from where you came. And so that's what we see happening in the story of the prodigal son. We see a story of repentance. We see him uh, literally changing his thinking, returning where he came from. He repents. He, verse 17, he comes to his senses. He comes to his senses and then decides to, from there, to return to whom which he first came. Verse 18, he returns to his father, he returns home. You see, and it's in that second step, that second movement that everything really starts to change. Um, and I know for us, you know, 
Many of you, here's one of the things I think about when it comes to what I prepare and pray about uh, in preparing a message, that uh, as you walk through the doors, I'm thinking, what are people expecting when they walk through the doors of church on a Sunday morning? And in honesty, if I had to ask you, and I assume you would answer just kind of off the cuff, I would assume you hope uh, that you can find a parking spot, hope you can find a seat, um, hope that uh, maybe it's a nice service and a nice helpful sermon, but that you walked into these doors here in the West Auditorium or walked into the room in the East Auditorium expecting to walk out of those same doors with the God of the universe actually changing your life, I think we'd be hard pressed to say that we came in with that level of expectation. And fair enough, that's, I know we got a lot of life on the other side of those doors and we're not necessarily thinking about these things, but now that you're here, let me remind you that that is who the God of the universe is. That he is a God that's not of the universe that's far off, but he's a God who is personal. He is a God who is a loving father, as we see in the story of the prodigal son. So fair enough if you walked into this room, not necessarily expecting tomorrow, Monday, to look any different than Monday of last week. Fair enough if you walked into the East Auditorium, not expecting Monday, tomorrow, to look any different than last week. But may we not walk out of these rooms unchanged. Because the God of the universe says, when you come to your senses, you don't have to have it all figured out there. But if you will, verse 18, set back out and go to your father. That's what the prodigal son did. He set out, he took the steps, he moved toward the father. And we recognize as the story of Jesus illustrates, he didn't just move back toward the father, he found his way back to God. And so this day can be that day for you. This can be the day where you find your way back to God, the God who created you in his image, who loves you, who's running towards you, who's calling you saying, whatever area, or maybe your whole life, come on home. The Father loves you and is waiting to embrace you and saying, come on home. And the blood will dry underneath my nails and the wind will rise up to fill my sails so you can doubt and you can hate but I There are categorically two types of people in the room today that every single one of us fall into, uh, both in this room and in the East Auditorium. And one of those is you have received Jesus Christ as your savior. You've made him the forgiver of your sin and you've also made him the Lord, the leader of your life. But you recognize uh, today in particular that you've come to your senses. There is an area of your life that, even though you're saying that he's the Lord of your life, there's an area of your life that you've held on to, that you've remained in charge of. 
and you recognize not only have I come to my senses, but I need to make a movement. I need to hand that over to the Father that instead of trying harder and trying and trying and trying and harder, that I need to actually just truly trust more and really give it over to Him. You know, maybe it's uh, your business dealings. You know you haven't been truthful and honest. And you know what? No one knows, but you know. And you know that God knows. And today, you want your integrity back. Or maybe it's that relationship that you know you've been mishandling and you've awakened to that regret again. But today is the day that you go back to the Father and trust Him with it. For whatever area that you're bitter, you're angry about, you stop trying harder and you need to trust more, handing it over to the Lord. So if that's you, be encouraged of God's promise to you. It says in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, if we confess this, that he is faithful and just and will purify us from all unrighteousness. And then the book of James, verse five, or chapter five, verse 16, he says, therefore then confess your sins, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that within that experience, you would find healing, that you would find healing. And so I would invite you that in that area or in all these areas, confess and come and find healing in the Father. Far away from where I belong, but it's always darkest before the time. So you can't doubt, and you can't hate, but I know no matter what it takes, I'm coming home. So for many of us, it is that area of life. But then the other category of us, for some of you in this room, you would say, well, it's not just an area. It's like my whole life. Like I haven't made that commitment to go home to the Father, just like the Sunday, to make the full turn and say, okay, I give my life to the Father. And again, maybe you're here and you're new to church or you're like new again. And you're like, I prayed a prayer to camp. I think my parents had me sprinkled, uh, but I don't even know like, where to go from here. I don't know the next step. Jesus reminds us that the kingdom of God coming into your life, it says, he says it's like a mustard seed, like the smallest of seeds, but it grows out to be the biggest tree, meaning that you don't have to have it all figured out today. If you would just take that small seed that's been planted in your heart today and you would take that step to say, okay, I'm going to come to the Father and I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't even know what tomorrow actually looks like, but I know that based on his word, He's waiting to receive me even more so. He's going to run toward me as I come to him. Don't walk out of this room not having made that decision. Uh, maybe, again, you sat here for years and you know you're just filling the spot, but you haven't. As I said, tell the world. It says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved, that you need to make that public pro uh, proclamation of your faith in him today. 
And we can celebrate that through what, um, what the Bible calls baptism. It's that line in the sand that says, okay, I'm stepping over. And baptism is where physically you're basically being dunked underwater, something you avoided all growing up at the pool. But spiritually speaking, when we do that, it says in the book of Romans that we are buried with him through baptism, meaning when we go under the water, just as Jesus died and was buried, we're saying we're bearing us being in charge. I'm bearing my old way of life. And just as Jesus rose from the dead through the glory of the Father to have new life, we too rise up out of that water celebrating we now have a new life where we're not going to take the reins, but Jesus is going to be in charge. And so we would invite you to make that step today. Again, that one step, and we'll walk with you the rest of the way on those next steps. But take that first step today if you have it in your life. Your eternity could be changed as a result of walking into this room based on the way that you walk out of it. And you can know the words that the prodigal son know, that as he set out to go back to his father, in verse 20, we didn't read it yet, but it's in the story. I'm gonna replace the pronoun of the son to you. Know this reality, that even as you still feel like you are a long way off, God sees you. And his response, he's filled with compassion for you. He runs to you. He throws his arms around you. He receives you. Proclaiming, this is what God says. Verse 23, let's celebrate. For the son, for this daughter of mine was lost, but is alive again, lost. But now you are found. Father, we are thankful that in a story that at first glance seems to be about us, prodigal sons and daughters, as we look at what that word prodigal means, meaning it's, it's reckless, extravagant uh, in the way that we might have approached running from you. But God, we recognize more importantly that this story is, uh, yes, about us, but it's even more about you and who you are, that you aren't a God that's far off, that you are, you're actually, according to the word, you are a prodigal God, a prodigal father, that you are extravagant and, and even reckless in the way that you have chosen to love us by the giving of your one and only son that died for our sins, that if we receive him, we're forgiven of that. We don't understand it. We don't get it. It doesn't add up. It's not fair. And it's not fair on our behalf. And so we just, all we can do is graciously receive your grace, give you thanks, and turn our lives over to you. 
So Father, I pray for the folks in this room, in the East Auditorium, God, that as we have heard your word, as seeds have been planted, that we now are in the spot to have to respond. And so God, in that area of our life um, where we have um, held on to, where we've rumspringed, let us hand that over to you today. Trust you with it um, where we have not been able to. And then Father, for those who uh, haven't, you know, they haven't made that commitment. They haven't publicly proclaimed, I'm all in and crossed that line. May this day be that day, marked now and for all of eternity. Would you move hearts? Would you, here in a moment as we pray uh, here at the front of the room, would you move feet towards you? In Jesus' name.